He wants to take from you the sins and the shame of the past, but he wants to take you to a brand new place. Mm. And he knows it. He sees it. The question is, are we going to go forward and see what God sees, what he sees on the other side of that betrayal? Because believe me, it's beautiful. After years of living an outwardly good Christian life, Lindell's faith had crumbled, leaving her wide open to the devil's lies. One personal tragedy after another breathed despair into her very soul, and she began searching for comfort in the place she swore she would never go, adultery. If you haven't heard part one of her story already, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to our last episode. Today, she recounts her journey back to God along the road of repentance. It wasn't easy, but God faithfully taught her where she went wrong and showed her that he can make all things work for the good of those who love him. Thanks for joining us for part two of Lindell's Story of Hope, today on Purity for Life. In the horrible fallout of sexual sin, many people ask, how did I get here? And to those who have ears to hear, King Solomon speaks timeless words. Pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. These proverbs painfully expose the very cause of the ruin, but praise God, they also graciously reveal what God will use to rebuild the life. Just as pride and rebellion brings the adulterer's life into ruin, so brokenness and surrender lay the foundation for resurrection life. Obviously, we want to point people to your book, so the, the very the, a lot of the specifics they can get while mm-hmm. reading your book, but what, what began the path back? During the affair, which was about a year and a half, I broke it off several times only to resume because an affair is a powerful addiction. Hmm. It is like a drug and you break it off only to find yourself going back to it again. And so over that period of time, it was broken off, but I managed to keep it a secret from pretty much, well, basically everyone. Eventually, though, the, it became discovered. Okay. My husband discovered the affair. It became public, and um, it ended at that point. I ended the affair. My husband was so broken that and, so, and very angry. I, I have never seen my husband become so angry um, like he was because he's a pretty mellow guy. He became very angry. We, I ended the affair, and we tried to work on our marriage. We went to counseling, but David was very non-responsive to anything. Mm-hmm. I did not want a divorce. I didn't know what I wanted, but I knew I didn't want a divorce. We, for about six months, we struggled to, to salvage really a doomed marriage. He was not willing to meet me halfway 
And it all goes back, I always say that an affair delivers blinding passion to the adulterer and blinding grief to the betrayed. And and it does. If you make any decisions while you're in blinding grief or any major life decisions while you're being, you know, blind passion, yeah. it's it's going to come back and haunt you because the emotions and the feelings that surrounded that time eventually pass. And suddenly you wake up and you realize how far you've drifted from everything yeah. that was right. And that's what happened. I woke up. I realized how far I had drifted from everything I held dear. But my husband, in blinding grief, he divorced me. He, he, he absolutely wanted nothing to do with me. He said he couldn't forgive me. He could not ever be with a person who claims to love someone else because I had told him I loved this other person. He could not trust me ever again, and uh, he needed resolution. To, so moving on was the way he, he brought resolution. And uh, I, I, the th- some things happened during that time that showed me that there was no way I could live with this vindictive man. There, there was no way. Um, so I agreed. I signed the papers, and uh, we worked out the details, and he picked up and moved. At the time, we were in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and he moved uh, clear out to Wisconsin and leaving me and our senior year, our daughter going into senior class uh, behind, and our son, who still lived with us. He was 20. Mm. During that the time of divorce, I <laughs> I became as broken— uh, as a woman could ever be from the ramifications of what happened, but also broken because of what I had done, my sin. And the day that David packed up with a U-Haul attached to his car and drove out of our driveway, I walked through the kitchen door, my knees buckled, and I fell to the floor. And I held my hand, my head in my hands and I wept in despair and I kept crying out um this was not what I wanted this was not what I wanted but it's what I got Mm. and I at that moment cried out to God and I saw my sins my life of sham and pretense and um I knew in my life that, you know, I had been taught enough that when we call on the name of Jesus, you know, we will be saved. Mm. And I called on the name of Jesus like I have never called on the name of Jesus. You know, John Wesley says, you know, I was a great sinner, but Jesus is a great Savior. And I, I cried out to the Lord, and that was the beginning of my journey in almost three years of divorce, of truly, truly coming to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior to where I vowed to him radical obedience. I mean, it was during that time that I was divorced that I turned to the Word unlike I had ever turned to the Word. Hmm. I devoured the Word of God. I, I, I tell women today that if you're going to make it coming out of an affair and 
and all that, I said, you must gorge on the Word of God, not just pick at it, Mm. but you gorge on it. You make a vow that you're going to live by the Word of God, you're going to obey it, and you're going to trust in Him no matter what. And I got to the place where radical obedience to the Word of God became my cry. And because I warped concept concept of God, because yeah. he was a God more of wrath and judgment, a God that had a thumb in my back all my life, my life up to my fair was all about performance because mm. I knew how to play the game of church. I knew I knew all the ways to look and act externally. But because I put so much emphasis on my external Christianity, I had sorely neglected the internal part of me. Mm. That that really is what matters to God. If you know, if the internal stuff is right with God, the outward stuff will take care of it or, itself. I mean, it will mandate how we live outwardly. If the internal stuff, if inside our hearts, we are, you know, full of pretense and we are we know that we're carrying on th- a thought life that's not pure or if we are engaged say at work flirting and or dressing provocatively or if we're doing things that we know are not walking in holiness with the lord and yet at church we can proclaim the name of god but we really know that behind the scenes we're profaning the name of god by the things we're doing the things we're engaged in what we're looking on at our computer what we're looking at what we're texting on our phones you know the things we watch on television um, i could so rightly proclaim god in public I knew how to worship him. I knew how if people looked at me, they would know, oh, she's a she's a holy person. She's a godly woman. But I knew in my heart I was profaning him in private. And and that moment on my knees, I knew that God cared nothing about what I proclaimed. He cared nothing about that. He only cared about how I had been profaning him all my life as a Christian. And because I thought that I had all the outward stuff in place and I was doing all the right things according to him and everybody else in the church, that this stuff back here doesn't matter much. You know, I don't have to, you know, I that's okay. Nobody else sees it and I'm all right. But that day, I realized that God brought what I had been hiding in secret and the thought life and all this stuff. He brought that out in the open, and I confessed that. Mm. I confessed. I told the Lord at that time, I said, Lord, enter me my very being and clean up my act. Clean it up. I will no longer have this dichotomy of proclaiming you outwardly, but in my heart knowing that there is a cloud over my spirit because I allow sin to remain. Um, I am not truly walking in holiness. Make me holy according to you or not by what the church says, what I need to be doing or not doing. You make me holy. You know, you cleanse me inwardly to outwardly because I knew that if he could do a work in here and transform me. Yeah, yeah. That that would that would um, influence my outward life, and so I came to see that um, it's transformation within that instructs service without. Mm. 
I mean, if you think that you're serving God out here and that's going to transform you, no way. You got to be transformed first within by the Holy Spirit, letting him take full possession of you to where he influences everything you do. What you watch, the way you love your neighbor, the way you treat your husband and your mm-hmm, children, mm-hmm. the way you live, um, he influences everything. Then that in turn influences service outwardly. Then he's guiding everything out here. You're just not doing it to pump yourself up or to make you look like you're a Christian to others. So the transformation that took place within over those three years I was divorced, God knew <laughs> He knew what it would take to break me because I had a warped concept of God. When I was kneeling that day, I, I, even though I knew God could forgive me, I was struggling to receive his forgiveness for what I'd done because I truly believed that adultery was one of the gross sins that we can commit. I mean, it wasn't a, it's not a little sin. It's one of those big, gross sins that we yeah. as Christians can commit. And I just couldn't find my way to receiving his forgiveness. I mean, I really believe that that at this time, God had just abandoned me to the bed I had made and that I truly deserved it. And I struggled and struggled to receive his forgiveness and believe that he would really forgive me. And I was kneeling there, and I grabbed my Bible that was on the table, and I simply opened it at random. Mm. And I had told the Lord, I need—it's a life-or-death experience, Lord. I need to hear from you that you truly have forgiven me. Mm. And uh, I opened up to Psalms 103. My eyes fell directly to these words, He does not deal with us according to our sins nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. But as far as the east is from the west, you know, so far has he removed his sins from us. And like a father who has pity on his child, wow. so have, have I had pity on you. It's wow. how my translation yeah, read. Yeah, yeah. And then I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, I did not deserve, I will not treat you as you deserve. You know, I, and I, mm. I will not... Uh, punish you according to your sin of adultery. Why? Because I took it on myself at the cross. And then I heard him say, if you are waiting for more proof of my love for you Mm. than me dying on a cross when you knew me not, then your search will be in vain all your life. Wow. And it was like the Lord saying, what are you looking? What more proof are you waiting for? I died for you yeah, while yeah. you were in your sin, yeah, yeah. and I can't tell you the the floodgate opened up in me, and I I wept with an absolute recognition of what he had done for me, the lengths he had gone to save me, and how mm. much he truly loved me, mm-hmm. in spite of what I had done. I'd say that was the beginning of healing. That was the beginning of transformation. Um, His real knowledge, the real knowledge of his love, waking my heart up, my dead heart really, uh, began to transform my life. It's what transformed me. Well, six months after my husband divorced me, he wanted me back. And Mm. um, I I told him, no, that it's over. I've moved on for two years. And finally... um, the Lord, he one day I got another email from David saying, "Let's try again. Can we not reconcile?" Mm-hmm. 
and uh, I took the letter on, uh, to my knees. Like I had said, I was I was vowing to be radically obedient to God. I went to bed that night. I said, Lord, I do not see how there's any way we can reconcile. Our marriage had ended in such bitterness and rage and hate, basically, and pain. And any time we were together, there was this wall of pain and betrayal between us that mm-hmm. we couldn't overcome. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't see. I mean, the land of that marriage land was filled with giants. I mean, there was no way it was a promised land. It was a land filled with giants. And I told the Lord, I said, I don't see how we can ever love one another again. I said, God, you've got to make it unmistakably clear Mm, to me mm, that I am to reconcile with David. And I went to bed, and uh, at 5.30 in the morning, I was abruptly wakened in my dark bedroom and a loud voice from the right corner of my room, my room was totally dark, said, oh, if you had only heeded my commandments, then your peace would flow like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Hmm. And it was an audible voice. And I, I said, you know, is that you, Lord, it's speaking to me? And I, I said, if it's you, let me, I grabbed my Bible by my bedstand and said, let me I thought I knew it was a Bible verse, but I didn't know where. Yeah. I said, Lord, let me open to that exact verse. If that's you speaking to me, I opened exactly to the verse in Isaiah 48. Mm. I had underlined it four years prior to when the Lord was calling me to break off my affair. Mm. And I knew God was calling me back. Was it easy? No, but God, God has 16 years later, now yeah. we've been remarried. And um, I, I give all glory to the Lord because um, He is God of the impossible. Yeah. Well, I think <laughs> uh, your testimony speaks for itself in terms of what people could expect to to read in your book and then in the next book that you're yes. writing, which will be available when? I'm not sure when. Um, I'm I'm just in the. I'm almost done with it. It goes into more detail about the the reconciliation process. Okay. But it also goes into detail about uh, more deeply the ramifications of adultery mm. and the radical obedience it takes for us to become whole again. Mm. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming in and sharing that. Oh, you're uh, so welcome. I wish we had more time. We could talk for hours about this. Yeah. Um, but what's wonderful about your story is that whether you're a man who's committed adultery or you're a wife who has committed adultery or the roles are reversed and it's about betrayal. The steps are the same. The God, God is the same. Amen. That's His right. ways are the same. Yes. And uh, right. there's no one who cannot be restored and redeemed. Yeah, absolutely. That's so true. He yeah. can, he can, you know, I, I just say when he delivers, when he delivered the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt, he was not a God who took them halfway. Mm. He took them all the way. He took them all the way to the promised land. And it was only their unbelief at the door of the promised land that turned many of them back. Mm. But his destination in mind was the promised land. But they had to journey there. But he knew where they were going. Mm. And he could fight every foe and defeat every giant that stood in their way. And for the couple who reconcile after adultery, um, God has a destination in mind for you. He wants to take you from your Egypt. 
He wants to take from you the sins and the shame of the past, but he wants to take you to a brand new place. Mm. And he knows it. He sees it. The question is, are we going to go forward and see what God sees, what he sees on the other side of that betrayal? Mm. Because believe me, the view from the mountaintop is beautiful. And the things you learn about God during that time are priceless. That could never have been learned in any other challenge that you go through. So I encourage couples that if they have a chance to reconcile, and it takes two to reconcile, mm-hmm. that um, they just allow God and try, they, they first vertically make sure their relationship is right with the Lord first. And then horizontally with each other, then they can build on that. But that vertical relationship has got to be intact. You've got to be sold out to God, and you've got to get to a place that, and I did this in my marriage, that if my marriage never brings the happiness that I long for, I will still follow you, Jesus. I'll still stay faithful in my marriage because everything became secondary to me to my primary relationship with which was with Jesus Christ mm. and everything was secondary and so no longer will I look for happiness from other sources my marriage or whatever it's from God alone and when you get those things in order right God can do miracles mm. he can work his wonders through those kind of attitudes but it takes that it takes you dying daily to self and and uh, desiring to walk in holiness and obedience to the word and let God do the rest. Hmm. It's, it's, I'm so thankful. I shudder when I think of what I would have missed had I, that day he, Dave reached out to me, that I would have said, no, hmm. nope, there's no way I can see how you and I can be reconciled. And, uh, you know, 12 grandchildren later, later and, you know, 46 years now of marriage and 16 years of being remarried. I marvel at what God has done and what he's able to do in lives that give him a chance. Wow. Mm -hmm. Amen. Well, thank you again for coming in. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was a real real joy to share my story. And that's not my story. It's his story. Yeah. Thank you. Amen. Lyndall confessed that she used to view adultery as one of the grossest sins a person could commit and described how she would write Christians off if they had committed it. But something in her spirit has changed. She obviously still believes adultery is wrong, but now she doesn't exalt herself above others. She's been made poor in her spirit and sees herself as a great sinner who has only received great mercy. The sinful heart attitudes that used to fester in her life were broken off of her by God's discipline. You know, brokenness isn't something that's talked about much anymore, but it's essential for true restoration and healing. So I want to play one more interview for you today. In it, Mike Johnston discusses with Jeff Cologne the importance of poverty of spirit and what true brokenness looks like. Jeff, as we continue our discussions in Irresistible to God, we want to talk today about poverty of spirit. And Let me just begin by asking this question. First of all, how critical is poverty of spirit in the life of a believer? Well, really, Mike, in reality, without poverty of spirit, the whole basis of our Christian walk is founded on sand, Hmm. because this really is the first thing in the process that God needs to do in our lives. I could say it this way. It's the foundation, really, that everything else rests upon. 
Well, it really is the opposite of pride, of course, and dealing with pride constantly as we work with men coming out of sexual sin. But really, that's just the natural human condition for everybody. We're by nature prideful. How do we begin to come into a poverty of spirit, which is, as you said, really is the foundation even of our very salvation? Well, if we define pavia spirit, it really is just when we come to an end of ourself and come into the reality that my situation is helpless, there's nothing I can do to save myself, and, and really only the Holy Spirit can make that real to us. Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, he'll convict the world of sin. And that really is what happens initially when the Holy Spirit impresses that upon someone's heart whether we're praying for that person or God just intervenes in their life and they come into the reality that I am lost. There is no hope for me. I have nothing but the mercy of God to help me. You know, Jeff, there are no doubt many people who I wouldn't necessarily classify as a believer, a follower of Christ, someone who's truly been converted, but surely they have some sense that they are needful, that things aren't going well for them, that they see things wrong inside of themselves, but that in and of itself really isn't enough to enter into the kingdom of God. What else is required? Well, I think about my own testimony. I remember when I myself came to that place when I was bound by drugs and sexual sin, and God had intervened in my life, and I knew my life was out of control. I knew I needed help, and I remember going to church with my sister. But I remember, as I look back at that time, I saw my need, but I wasn't ready to relinquish my life in this world, Mm -hmm. the things of this world. My self-will wasn't broken. I wanted help, but Mm -hmm. I still wanted my life Mm -hmm. as I knew it, and that's not what true brokenness consists of. And I would imagine, as I could say was true for me, was true for you also, that even though you saw those things in your life, that if you were to see some other people around you, you could probably find others that you thought maybe you were a little bit better than them, and maybe that gave you some sense of hope. I know we hear people all the time saying, well, I think I'm going to make it into the kingdom of God because, after all, you know, I'm not as bad as this person or that person. And Jesus had something to say about seeing our our need that way. That's true, Mike. It really is tragic. I know from my own life, uh, I went on for years thinking I had really came to God, but really I came with more of a worldly sorrow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was tired of my circumstances and all that, but like you just said, I wasn't that bad of a guy. I just had some issues in my life that were (laughs) causing a lot of problems. What I think about is the example that Jesus gives us where the two men go up to the temple to pray and one goes up and all he does is share his accolades of all he has done for God. He ties, he goes to church regularly, and and Mm -hmm. he's really a devout man. And and sees himself probably as an asset Mm -hmm. to God, but yet this other man can't even lift his eyes to God, and all he can do is beat his breast and cry out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And it's obvious when you look at these two men, one was in the utter reality of his desperate need for God, that Mm -hmm. he was a sinner. He didn't just have some issues in his life. He was a sinner through and through, and he understood that his only hope was God have mercy on him, when in contrast, the Pharisee saw his good works and justified himself before God. Right. You know, as we look at that example that Jesus gave us in the context of the modern church, that Pharisee would have been seen as an outstanding church member. Yeah, absolutely. And we all can put on an outward Mm -hmm. form, but God is more interested Mm -hmm. in what's going on in the heart. But, you know, the flip side of that is you take that person who is truly broken— 
the publican, the one who beat his breast. You stick him in too many, unfortunately, churches today, and the first thing people are going to want to do is rush up to him and try to encourage him not to see himself that way. Yeah, it's so true. We almost don't want people to feel bad Mm -hmm. about their sin anymore, but without that, it really is a precursor to coming to the Lord in a real way and and really coming into true salvation. Unless that happens, we're never going to understand the realities of the cross and the mercy that God has had on us because in that state, really the whole blessed thing about it is we look up Mm -hmm. and realize there is mercy. Yeah. Well, that is the blessedness of poverty of spirit. Yeah, it really is. You know, it's not a morbid, horrible thing that I'm just in this state of seeing my sin and bemoaning what I'm like. But in that reality, I realize there is hope Mm -hmm. that Jesus died for that. And he's willing to take my wretchedness upon himself and I can be forgiven. That is the blessedness of poverty. You know, I look at the men that come into our live-in program, Jeff, and you just watch this happen for them. Again, I can say it's part of my testimony, it was part of yours, that you come here, and for many of these men, for the first time in their lives, they really get a sense of how desperately needy they are for a Savior. And I can say, for the first time in my life, how beautiful he appeared through the lens of that need. So if you don't have that sense of need, you're never going to see Jesus as he really is. It's so true, Mike. The reality of the cross will never be unveiled to the person who hasn't come to the sight of his utter wretchedness and need for God. I know for myself, that's when the cross became everything to me. Yes. Yes. Amen. Well, Jeff, no doubt there may be some people listening today who, if they really evaluated their relationship with the Lord, they would have to acknowledge that they've never had that experience of really being broken and seeing that deep need. What should they do to have that? Well, Mike, we can't see it on our own. As I said when we started, we need the Holy Spirit to really make that real. But if we're sincere and and we want that kind of brokenness, I'll encourage guys sometimes pray over Psalm 51. You know, Mm, ask God to make those words that David had when he was broken and in sight of his need. Make that real to me, Lord. God, help me, Lord. I want to be broken. God, I want to see my heart the way you see it. If we cry out to God like that. He's going to answer that prayer. He's going to help us by his Holy Spirit to see what we need to see about ourselves. Yes. Amen. Amen. And that is our testimony. He's done that for us. And we can surely sit here and say, it wasn't us. It was the Lord who did it for us. Amen. And that's his heart. Praise the Lord. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for talking to us today about poverty of spirit. As I mentioned last week, I would encourage any wife who's struggling with sexual sin to look for Lindell's book, Confessions of an Adulterous Christian Woman, Lies That Got Me There, Truths That Brought Me Back, on Amazon.com. And for any woman who's trapped by the chains of pornography, look for Create in Me a Pure Heart by Kathy Gallagher on store.purelifeministries.org. These resources are an excellent beginning. And if you sense the need for biblical counseling, we have that as well. You can find more information about our women's counseling programs at purelifeministries.org. That's all for this week's episode. Thanks for listening to Purity for Life. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women 
whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.